But us web sleuth and true crime distributor people dropped my phone. And I also skipped part of my... Crazy week, crazy times, crazy world. Welcome back to the show that you know, the show that you love, the show that contains lots of sentences like this that have way too many commas. Murder's a drag. I'm Aura Van Dank, your wayward host. Wayward, the official title of my autobiography. Yeah, anyway, we're here. We're back. It's another week. I don't have much to say for myself. I didn't do much. This episode, I'm going to be redoing a case that I did uh, about 20 or so episodes ago. I was not happy with the way that I did it. I was disappointed in the way that I did it, and I'm sure that means I was not the only one. I focused too much on the murderer. I fell into that rabbit hole. Yes, I also always think of Queen Arby when I say that. I just didn't do a good job of focusing on the victims, focusing on what was actually important about the case, and I went down that sensational route that I swore off and swore that I would never go down. I went down it. But the episode's since been deleted. It just wasn't good, wasn't worth keeping up. Like, there's nothing to learn from it. So I'm going to redo it almost exactly the same, but obviously focusing more on the victims, focusing way less on the murderer, and really getting the story across better. Skandaraj Navatnam, Abdul Bazir Fazir, Majid Kehan, Sarush Mamudi, Karushna Kangaratnam, Dean Lasowick, Selem Esen, and Andrew Kinsman were all murdered between the years of 2010 and 2017 in Toronto, Canada. Their ages ranged between 37 to 58, and they had all had some sort of involvement and relationship to the gay kink community. Toronto is one of the largest populated provinces in Canada, and with that comes a large and populated gayborhood. There's a very lively LGBT scene, there's a lot of kink bars, other bars, It's a sort of scene where everything's included. In 1997, a man named Bruce MacArthur left his wife and children to pursue alleged lifelong sexual urges toward gay men, and men in general. It didn't take very long for those urges to pretty much immediately turn violent when Bruce MacArthur hired a gay sex worker. It was Halloween of 2001, and Bruce attacked the sex worker with a metal pipe. When the man regained consciousness, he was able to call police. He went to the hospital, got treatment for his injuries, and Bruce MacArthur actually turned himself in and admitted to being the one who had assaulted this man and said he didn't remember because he was on Prozac and he had done poppers, which I am no medical expert, but I've been on Prozac and sniffed a popper or two and I didn't black out. I didn't get violent, that's for sure. Um, yeah, no, that's not how that works, bud. No. He was put on house arrest and given nothing more than a slap on the wrist. And through legal manipulation, lawyers, and money, he was eventually able to get that expunged from his record altogether. But us web sleuths and true crime enthusiasts will find it. We'll find it. While proceedings were going on for that assault before the expunging and everything, Bruce was busy signing up for recon and other gay kink sites that he had become addicted to, basically, after this first encounter with someone who he had hired to do kink stuff with. He now wanted to do more. Big red flag. This guy should not have had anything expunged from his record. MacArthur eventually became a regular in the Toronto gayborhood, and that came with him pretty immediately getting a reputation for being violent 
and where he promised or led these men to expect that it would just be a regular dominant submissive kind of a kink experience bruce would immediately get violently dominating and start hurting people and scaring people and he built up a reputation for being a creepy violent steer clear of kind of a guy and by 2011 bruce had been all but banished from the gay community nobody wanted to hang out with him he wasn't allowed in several bars he did not have a good reputation there was an incident where he was asked to leave a local coffee house because he was making people uncomfortable, and he got violent and swept all of the glasses off of the counter in a rage before leaving the shop. When a person who'd been friends with Bruce for a while heard some of these things and told him that he wasn't comfortable hanging out with him anymore, Bruce is quoted responding to that. Fucking faggots telling stories about me. You're just like the rest of them. You think I'm crazy. Now, thinking and knowing are two very different things, Mr. Bruce. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. You are crazy. Violently so. So this guy, clearly a mess. Clearly unstable. But the problem in this situation is that nobody's reporting him for his violent behavior. And if they are, then they're not being taken seriously because of the nature of the gay kink hookup sites that they would meet Bruce on. You're, I mean, unfortunately, police obviously aren't going to respond very well to that. That is not how the system should work, because being kinky and being murdered, not in the same family. But police, I mean, we know them to be bare minimum kind of folk. Skandaraj Navaratnam was a 20... Skandaraj Navaratnam was a 40-year-old Sri Lankan refugee. His friends called him Skanda, and he was known as one of the most upbeat, positive, and smiley people that you could be around. He was an insanely intelligent and highly educated man. He would constantly stay up to date on global news and was allegedly the best Scrabble player on the universe. On a day in 2010, friends of Skanda's realized something was wrong when they found his puppy, his brand new puppy, who Skanda was obsessed with, home alone, and Skanda nowhere to be found. Jody Becker, who was a popular bartender at one of the local clubs, it was called Zippers and Skanda would frequent it, she was quoted saying about him, his laugh was just ridiculous. If Skanda started laughing, everybody started laughing, even if nothing was funny. Abdul Bazir Fazai was 47 years old and a father of a six-year-old and a 10-year-old daughter. And in 2010, he also went missing and his wife told authorities after his disappearance that their daughters were still crying for their father over seven years after he had disappeared. Abdul Bazir's disappearance flew largely under the radar because he was in the closet and married and nobody really knew that he was using those websites or that that was even a possibility for him. Majid Kaihan was an Afghani refugee living in Toronto. He was the baby of all of his siblings. Like Abdul Bazir, Majid was in the closet, under the radar, married, so nobody knew that he was using those sites. Was reported missing by his son in 2012 after his son couldn't get in contact with his father. Sarush Mahmoudi was a 50-year-old Iranian refugee living in Toronto, and he went missing in 2015. Sarush's wife told courts that she did not care about her husband's infidelities and that she only wanted to see him and hug him one last time. Sarush had also been in the closet, and it took a very long time for him to be connected to the other cases because, again, it was hard to know. Karushna Kanagaratnam was 37 years old in 2016 when he went missing. He had come to Canada in 2010, and when his refugee application 
was denied, he refused to go back, didn't want to be in a war-torn area, understandably, and hid in the country. So it was tough for this one to be reported on because he wasn't in the system. His family didn't learn what had happened to him until t later in 2016 when DNA evidence on a jacket belonging to a murderer revealed that Karushna had been with a murderer who had killed men matching his profile. Dean Lysowick was 37 years old and experiencing homelessness in 2016 when he went missing. Dean broke the mold of MacArthur's MO. If you didn't know by now, this is Bruce MacArthur doing this. That's why I started there. And Dean broke his MO. He wasn't South Asian, he wasn't Middle Eastern, and he was experiencing homelessness, which wasn't something that Bruce normally did, which means by this point, I think that he was just getting insatiable and sloppy. According to family, Dean was living a very normal life up until his mid-20s when mental health hit him and hit him hard, and he ended up falling into substance abuse issues and living a life on the streets. During that time in his life, Dean struggled to have any sort of a functioning relationship with his young daughter. Eventually, mental illness all but consumed him, and that wasn't an option at all for him to see his daughter, and by his 30s and 40s, he was living in and out of homeless shelters, but keeping pretty consistent contact with family, specifically his uncle Jerry, who said, quote, He was a very loving and caring man, and he was not alone in the world. Jerry also said that Dean had recently been taking steps to get himself into a better mental state so that he could have something of a relationship with his daughter, even though he had lost 20 and 30 years already. He was working to try to be better, be healthier. His daughter later testified in court and said, quote, I will always have to live with knowing that I will never have a relationship with my father. Dean is believed to have been killed in 2016, but that's more of an assumption because he was never reported missing considering his lifestyle at the time. I was only able to find that amount of information on Dean. None of the other victims in this case had that much biographical information, I think because a lot were refugees, a lot were married. It's just not a situation where I think folks want their personal life to be shared. So I'm just sticking to what I was able to find and consider acceptable to be sharing in this format. Salim Esen was a 34-year-old. Salim Esen was a 44-year-old Turkish immigrant living in Toronto. He had moved there in 2013 and went missing from his home in the Toronto neighborhood in 2017. Salim's brother told BBC News, quote, He was very friendly, kind-hearted, open, independent-minded, and curious, passionate about learning new things, gardening, exploring new places, and meeting new people. His tender and kind humanity came before everything else. Salim was an all-around nature lover, but he had a specific passion for sociology and psychology. He had struggled with substance abuse in his past, and later became somewhat of a sponsor to those who were going through that same struggle. Andrew Kinsman was 49 years old when he went missing from Toronto in 2017. Andrew was a very active member of the Toronto LGBT scene and made a really big impact there. His sister told BBC News, he wanted to make the world a better place for those struggling to survive. She also said that underneath his gruff demeanor, beardy face and kinky looking self, he was kind-hearted and just a big teddy bear. After Andrew went missing, police searched his home and found a diary with an entry titled Bruce. The entry was written on the day that he went missing. This led to authorities, obviously, searching for a person named Bruce to get some more answers about what may have happened to Andrew that night. They still hadn't 
pinned this all on one person. They didn't know that all of these men had gone missing from the same person. They didn't know exactly what was going on and why this community had become so dangerous. So they started something called Project Prism, which was to look into why these men were going missing and where they were. A few other task forces were launched as well, but after finding Bruce MacArthur, they were disbanded because he had been the person responsible for all of it. The main squad task force that was responsible for most of the footwork on the case was Project Houston. This investigation on this task force took a series of twists and turns. There was a Luca Magnata possibility that he could have been the person that killed him, the one who had murdered Lin June back in um, the Don't Fuck With Cats documentary. It was wild. Things got fucking crazy for a minute, but none of it was true. It was mostly speculation and just like, oh, gay murder, gay guy, gay, gay, gay. Let's just all pin it on that dude. That was not the case. There was a little bit more work to be done. Then detectives found somebody named Mr. Brunton, and I honestly don't even know where to start with Brunton. He was a sex criminal, the 100%, and he had been known for recording underaged hockey players in locker rooms. That was the reputation he had, a predator. He had been exchanging messages between himself and a 16-year-old boy. This has to be the weirdest thing that I've ever read or found on the internet. There was a website dedicated to exchanging messages and plans about cannibal sex fantasies. Cannibal sex fantasies. I didn't know it was a thing, but it is a thing. And people get off to it, I guess. And it's fucking nuts. And Brunton was talking to a 16-year-old who had made a web- an account on the website because people send you money, I guess, if you agree to be eaten. And they'd been going back and forth for a while, and Brunton had been paying him. And by the time he got caught, he had paid this kid a total of $3,582 over three years. And their plan was for this kid to be a sex slave for him until one day he finally killed and ate him. And they were both down with this plan. I don't know so much about the 16-year-old. You know, he's 16. I think he was probably doing it because dudes were sending him money on the internet. But it is a scary fucking place, man. The internet is a scary place. You're on it right now. (laughs) It scares me. But here I am. So, yeah, that definitely put me in a pickle and called me Sally. Detectives eventually came to find that he had not actually murdered anybody ever, but was just planning on it and fantasizing about it, which there's nothing illegal about except for the images that were being sent to him from this minor, and he was, you know, arrested on um, child porn charges. Not enough. I think that there should be a new charge for, like, planned cannibalism, because that's fucking scary. Seriously scary. On January 18th, 2018, Eight years into his killing spree, Bruce MacArthur was being unknowingly followed after police caught on to his trail after asking actual good questions after a while in the community and learning that Bruce was known to be a violent kink guy on the internet. One night while police were following him, January 18th, they saw Bruce taking an unknown man into his home and fearing for his danger, they busted in. They find the man already tied and handcuffed to a bed with a bag over his head. And Bruce is straddling him and fighting him and trying to duct tape his mouth shut. The man tells police that he'd agreed to the handcuffs and a little bit of handcuff play, but that the duct tape, the bag, the violence, the beating, that was not planned. He was not down for that. So they finally caught him. Bruce was arrested and police 
pretty immediately found blood in his van. That was able to get them some warrants to search some of Bruce's properties. Bruce had been running a landscaping business for a while and was making bank and had like high-rise luxury apartments with giant concrete planters all around them. By the 29th of January in 2018, police searched the planters and found dismembered skeletal remains of at least three different people. And by that point, they'd only searched two of 12 concrete planters. They pretty much figured out Bruce was the suspect at this point and charged him with all of the murders and arrested him. By early February, police had found six sets of human remains and identified one of them as being Andrew Kinsman. After some DNA testing, they found the other remains belonged to all of the other missing men in the gay community of Toronto, except for one. Police decide that the only option is to release pictures of this person's remains, this person's corpse, even though their family doesn't even know they're dead yet. Uh, their friends don't know they're dead, might not even know that they're gay. And as it turns out, that was the case. Horrified family members who had seen the digital rendering and picture of his body were able to identify the man as Abdul Bazir. Why would you do that? On February 8th, 2019, a judge sentenced Bruce MacArthur to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 25 years. After 25 years, he has the possibility. But this is Canada. They're nice. So I guess it makes sense. Canadians, you know, don't you know? I'm sorry. There was a buttload of controversies surrounding these cases, these murders, and Bruce MacArthur, because originally police were only looking for South Asian and Middle Eastern suspects because the idea that serial killers only kill within their own race is still a thing that people believe. Not true, obviously. Uh, the fact that authorities released pictures of dead bodies without contacting families or trying to do, you know, anything else besides releasing a picture of a dead body to the public just a lot of ball dropping going on by the Canadian authorities in this case, but I'm glad that they caught this monster and he's in jail for the rest of his life where he will die alone in solitary confinement, hopefully tortured by what he did to these people. Not only did he kill seven men, but he permanently damaged seven families and, and that scope is much bigger. I mean, we know this week with... The second elementary school shooting in my lifetime. That's insane. I was born in 1998, the year that Columbine happened. And I mean, honestly, ever, ever since then, all I remember growing up is just this, this fucking carnage. It's ridiculous. All I can really say about authorities dropping the ball, Congress people dropping the ball, limited gun control, those kinds of things, those really important things that need to be taken care of is vote. Vote, vote, vote. And demonstrate. If there's demonstrations near you, go. The more people in those demonstrations, the louder the message is. That's all I'm going to touch on with this week. I know it's been hard for everybody, and I don't want to be yet another source just throwing you depression. But it, it's important. This is the world that we are living in today, and we need to know how to navigate it, and change it for the future. I refuse to grow old in this society, and I don't think I'm alone with that. That's this week's episode, and as always, I'll see you next week. Mwah.